Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. Uh, so we've gotten the first few days of spoils from Kaldheim, and there is a lot to talk about, a lot of new legendary creatures, um, some really exciting new mechanics that they've brought back, or rather, some really exciting mechanics that they've brought back, as well as some new ones that we're excited to talk about. Um, I can't wait to jump in, so I don't want to hold it off too long, don't want to push things off too long. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can still help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, uh, we're going to jump right into the legendary creatures. Uh, what's the first one we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, the first one we're going to start with white like normal. Uh, it is Sigrid, God-favored. So Sigrid is a 2-2 human warrior for three mana, one white-white. They have flash, first strike, protection from god creatures, and when Sigrid enters the battlefield, exile up to one target attacking or blocking creature until Sigrid leaves the battlefield. So, I mean, we've seen cards like this before, but not ones that you could have as your commander. So I don't know if there's uh, any specific tech that you want to get into. Not really. Um, this seems more like a utility card that would fit into the main deck of some other list. Only being able to exile attacking or blocking creatures kind of prevents it from like a lot of the fun things you might be able to do otherwise. Like if this could just target any creature, you could use it. You could sub it in for Fiend Hunter in like Sun Titan loops or um, Karmic Guide loops or, or Revel Arc loops. But as it stands, it's kind of limited in what it's able to do. I agree. I think just the timing restriction is a lot. I think they put a lot of the power into this for standard being like it has flash and has first strike and has protection from gods as they, a lot of the gods as we're going to talk about are, are kind of pushed. Probably going to see some standard play. So, uh, And there's a lot more of them than I thought there were going to be. Yeah, yeah. This is a real pantheon here. This is yeah. just like five dudes. Yeah, this is 12. We're going to get 12 gods, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot for one set to handle. So it again, it kind of makes me glad that they didn't stick with the how do we temporarily make this indestructible or how does this not be a creature sometimes kind of thing that they're doing with the gods. Yeah, this just seems like in games of standard, it's going to help out whatever low to the ground white deck there is because this can really, really mess up combat. Like, just imagine you attack this white player with three open mana with, like, a 3-2 and a 2-2, and you're just going to get so horribly blown out. Definitely. Uh, this could definitely change, like, the tides of battles. I think I would just really only play it in, like, Sisse, like, 1.0 decks as, like, a tutorable combat trick, maybe. I would play it, like, if Legends Matters was a thing. Yeah, that's kind of where I was thinking. Like, this is a utility card in a Legends Matters deck rather than a commander. Yeah, exactly. Because there's just not a lot of actually, like, fun tech for this card. So, I mean, that's sad, but that's what we get. All right. Uh, we'll move it on to the next one. Man, <laughs> God, it's going to sound like we're so down on this set because, like, honestly, the first few fun. cards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, not to spoil the mood, but moving on to uh, the next one. It is Alrund, God of the Cosmos. 
It is three blue blue for a one one legendary creature god. It gets plus one plus one for each card in your hand and each foretold card you own in exile. At the beginning of your end step, choose a card type, then reveal the top two cards of your library. Put all cards of the chosen type into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And this is actually a modal DFC. Yeah, um, so many words on this card. Yes, uh, all the gods in this set have two sides that, and you can cast it as either one. So the reverse side of Alrund is Haka, Whispering Raven. It's one and a blue for a 2-3 legendary creature bird with flying. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, return it to its owner's hand, then scry two. How do you feel about Alrund and Haka? So there's not like a lot of tech. I think in a world where like you could foretell your hand or morph, well, I guess it would have to be foretell or or impulse draw or, or something like get rid of your hand you could use the cheap blue spells to refill really easily like there's like balance of power and slither muse and there, there's cards that like draw up to hand size or draw up to an opponent's hand size that are a little bit cheaper than other blue draw spells because typically blue doesn't need to do that typically blue is kind of leading the charge for like cards in hand so I'm not really sure much tech for the Alrund on the front side. I think the tech here mostly comes from the fact that Haka is two mana. So if Alrund's died a few times, you can just cast it for cheaper as Haka, get it back to your hand, cast Alrund for the cheap amount without the commander tax. Uh, that's kind of the only really big synergies that I've been able to find with this card. Yeah, it's a shame uh, that we you know, are only spending one set on call time because like uh, it's just unlikely we're going to get enough foretell cards to really fill out uh, a monocolor deck. Even if we get 10 playable foretell cards in mono blue, that's still only going to be a, a fraction of the cards in your deck. And so it's going to be really hard to build around that. I think you're, you're right. It would have been interesting if you could maybe like foretell other cards and then just like have this separate hand and mm-hmm. that like doesn't really count as being in your hand for the purposes of like you know a memory jar or a a windfall or something like that. That would be a really cool line of play. Yeah, as it stands, I don't know if there's a whole lot you can do with Alrund. It's just like you can manipulate your library. You can make it so that like you're always going to hit on that end step trigger, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a really unique deck to me. Yeah, this seems like it's going to be pretty generic blue stuff. Like your commander uh, is probably your win condition. He gets pretty big because you're going to have cards in hand. You might have a card or two in foretell zone kind of exiled. But for the most part, he just kind of fuels you and uh, is big. And there's not not a lot to do with that because there's a lot of ways to have a big boy in commander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I guess we'll continue on with Inga Rune Eyes. So, Inga Rune Eyes is a 3-3 human wizard for 3 and a blue, 4 mana. When Inga Rune Eyes enters the battlefield, scry 3. When Inga Rune Eyes dies, draw 3 cards if 3 or more creatures died this turn. So, it's not, it's not just a static dies and draws 3. That'd be, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, You do have to work at it. This is an interesting card. Me and Nick are kind of... Only really see one big spot for it. Do you want to get into that? Yeah, I'd say like one issue I have with Inga Rune Eyes is that there just aren't very many good sack outlets in mono blue. 
that's not really a blue thing. And of course, like you don't really have access to a lot of board wipes in blue or like a lot of good removal. So it's just really hard to uh, control when three or more creatures die in a single turn. Um, so that's why I'm a little bit down on her on running her as a commander because it just the like it seems like the main benefit to running her is to try to get these three cards, try to get that death trigger. But you just it doesn't seem like you have the tools to do it in mono blue. Yeah. But I think there is use for her potentially in the main deck of an Around Me deck. So Around Me is the one black blue merfolk from Commander Legends that allows you to encore creatures in your graveyard. So if you have three copies of Inga coming back and you have a sack outlet out, then two of them are going to die immediately to the legend rule and their triggers are going to go on the stack. And then if you can sacrifice that last remaining Inga before those first two triggers resolve, then you're going to draw nine cards off of your three Ingas dying. And that seems pretty sweet. That seems like a worthwhile thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that I, I would agree with that. It's a lot of value. <laughs> Yeah, it is a little bit unfortunate that just because of the way, like, you know, state-based effects being checked and everything, you're going to draw your cards before all your scry triggers resolve, but uh, that's that's okay. Yeah, Draw, I, I, Drawing nine and, and scrying nine is probably... Yeah, something that has um, I've learned just because of playing with Serum Visions and other formats is that sometimes that's actually the way you want it. Sometimes you're like, yeah, whatever card is fine now, but now I'm going to set up for the thing after, so... It really could be worse. <laughs> I drew nine cards. Who's who's complaining? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that seems like the main use for Inga. But if you have any uh, cool ideas for how to make use of it as a commander or other potential uses for it, uh, let us know. We're, we're curious about what the best way to make use of this card is. Oh, this next commander is real sweet. Um, yeah, this is, she's a lot to deal yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. So this is Turgrid, God of Dread. Uh, it's three BB, three black black for a legendary creature god. Oh, yeah. I do. I want to interrupt you real quick. This has uh, been translated, so these words might change when we get the official English translation. Oh yeah, we're we're doing our best here. It actually, I noticed that the mythic spoiler initial translation was was wrong on a couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it, like it just did not make sense. So we're we're doing our best here with our like, uh, or or my like high school grasp of spanish um, yeah. <laughs> okay so uh Turgrid has menace whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card you can put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and she's a four five uh she is a god so it is a modal double face card and the opposite side is Turgrid's lantern three and a black for a legendary artifact tap Target player loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card, and you can pay three and a black to untap it. Um, so I think that is the last we're going to make mention of Turgrid's Lantern because yeah. <laughs> 100% of this card's power is on the front side. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing I will say about Turgrid's Lantern is that late game, when you have your Urborg, you have your coffers, and you just want the game to be over, like for whatever reason, they're there's been like seven wraths or something like that. You can just you can just cast the lantern and start start shaking it and really killing somebody. But I, I think if you can't win with the front side of this card, then something went heinously wrong with your game plan. Yeah, yeah. Uh this this front side just seems 
incredibly powerful to me. Like the fact that you can like, you know, make your opponent sacrifice something, steal it. And then like, if you have a grave packed out, you can just like sacrifice that creature. Your opponent sacrifice more creatures. You get those creatures. You can sacrifice them. Grave pack triggers again. Like it seems like you would just, if you have a grave pact or a dictative Erebos or something similar, it just seems like all the creatures on the board are yours now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like not even bringing up how easy it is to get good discards going. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Mind Slicer uh, says hello. And if you're running flesh bags and merciless executioners, it seems pretty easy to just all of a sudden your board is whatever was in anyone's hand. <laughs> yeah. And, and even if you want to like protect your own hand, there's things you can or like relatively protect your own hand. Um, if you run like a dark deal, which is two and a black for a sorcery, each player discards their hand, then draws that many cards minus one. That'll do it. Uh, if you have a memory jar, memory jar seems really, really good in this list because uh, everyone gets this new hand of seven cards temporarily, but then they have to discard it at end of turn. So those 28, well, I guess 21 cards your opponents drew, yeah. you get all of the permanents out of them. It's a, a lot. It's a very big swing. Yeah, uh, this seems like an awesome commander. Um, I think that one of the issues I had after playing with Tiny Bones for a little bit, I did a little bit of testing with that. It just got to the point where, you know, if your opponent's in top deck mode, sure, you can activate and make them lose life, but that's like all of your turn's tempo and you're not able to easily answer the threats that are coming. You're not like building up a board. You're spending all your mana to just... Uh, tick numbers down whereas this it's like your reward for discard is not like a card and some life loss it's like no you get that card i would run mm-hmm. thoughtsies in this deck yeah exactly you're like oh don't mind if i do that's a cool six drop so this this seems like a fantastic commander to me uh we have a list that we will link to in the episode description if you want an idea for how to build around this but i'm, I'm pretty high on this card it's the part of it that betrays that i really like without people complaining that i just reanimated an 11 11 annihilating creature (laughs) now they're just going to complain that i stole their stuff yep this next (laughs) uh strange segue but we'll get into this (laughs) it's related to this next guy (laughs) varagoth blood sky sire a two three demon rogue for two and a black uh they have death touch and they have Boast. So Boast is an activated ability that you can only activate if the creature has attacked uh, and only once a turn. So basically, a creature with Boast, you attack, you can do the thing. And the things can literally be whatever. So this guy's Boast is one in a black. Target player searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. So what do you think about Varagoth? I've got a couple thoughts in terms of building around him. It just seems like the first thing you get with his boast ability is your own opposition agent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then from there, you can just take, if you want to, you can take the best cards out of your opponent's decks or, you know, whatever. You're, you're able to tutor a return so you can just set up combos pretty easily. It's probably like as a pure tutoring commander it seems less good than like a sadisi undead vizier just because there's so many conditions involved in making it happen it's like not as immediate you got to wait a whole round of turns to attack with it i think it's interesting that 
it is a rogue. I know. That's like one of the strangest parts of this card to me. I feel like some classes align really well with certain races. Like if you see an angel cleric, that just feels right. Like, of course. Like if, if, if of course, an angel, if an angel were to have a job, it would be a cleric. But I feel like demon rogue almost feels redundant. Like, you know, I wasn't going to trust a demon in the first place, but you tell me it's a rogue as well. Like, what does it mean to be a demon rogue? Like, it's yeah. hard to hard to be sneaky when you're, you know, eight feet tall. And... Yeah. Also, this guy's holding, like, an axe that's taller than he is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when I think of a rogue, I don't typically think of a double-handed war axe that's ten feet tall. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So, just, uh, yeah, kind of strange uh, yeah. from a flavor standpoint. Yeah, I think that, like, I guess that's just what standard is going to be like. We're going to see the effects of Zendikar rising, kind of warping creature types. That's fine, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's it's not like a problem. It's just a strange occurrence. It's, it's like, kind of pops me out of the moment for a second, going like, really? Yeah, but do you have anything else you want to say on the subject of Varagoth? This guy fits into the all of the Mono Black Commander's deck uh, pretty seamlessly, so... Mm-hmm. So another addition there. Uh, I would consider running this in Rakdos 3.0. It's so hard to find low to the ground demons for that deck. Mm-hmm. That that is true. Like this is something to do with, you know, in the early turns of the game. Whereas most demons are like five drop, six drop, seven drop. That is true. I did forget about the third Rakdos. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to do. A lot of legends coming out lately. Oh god, yeah. This this Nick and me were just talking about how that we just had Commander Legends. We're still remembering all the names from that set, and then all of a sudden there's twelve new double faced <laughs> legends. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember all of them. It's a lot. But that does get us to the next legend, if you don't mind me reading it. Yeah, go for it. So this is Kolavori, God of Kinship. Uh this is a Green god, so two two green for a two four god. As long as you control three or more legendary creatures, uh, Kolavori gets plus four plus two and has vigilance. And they also have the activated ability one in a green tap. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a legendary creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, but this is also one of these modal double face gods. So the other half is the Ringheart Crest, a two mana legendary artifact, one in a green. As the Ringheart Crest enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. And it has tap, add green, spend this mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type or a legendary creature spell. So uh, mono green legends matter. It's a two four in the front side for four that can help you draw cards. And eventually becomes a 6-6 six, six Vigilance. Or it's a Mana Rock. <laughs> this seems more like a role player than a, the, the lead player in a deck to me. Yeah, I'd be more excited about this card were it not for the existence of Reki History of Kamigawa. Just because like, clearly Kulvori wants you to be playing a lot of legendary creatures. Uh, just spinning up the hypergeometric calculator for a second. If you want a hit rate of 90%, that is 90% of the time you activate her ability, you'll get one or more legendary creatures. You would need to run 31 legendary creatures in your deck. So pretty high concentration. And if you're building a mono green deck with a huge number of legendary creatures anyway, 
you might as well just play Reki because that's just way more powerful. Like your your payoff instead of getting, you know, one card per turn, maybe is I'm gonna get draw many cards every turn forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, instead of possibly missing on a two mana tap activation once a turn. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I think that her other half, the the Ringheart Crest, is actually a great addition to Reki. You know, it's two cost mana rock, taps for a mana. Essentially, so like the net cost to you is one, and it'll draw you a card when you cast it. And that just sounds like a great deal for a Reki deck. Mm-hmm. I definitely see this as more of a role player. I, I wouldn't be super excited to run it as a commander, but I think, again, this is... Oh, I'll save this for the very end of this episode, but I, I think this is just... A lower power level god that can fit into other places and as we get further along this list we're gonna kind of see it, it seems like that was by design <laughs> it seems yeah. like they wanted you to play all of these together and oh, we'll, yeah. you'll you'll see that more uh, appear as we get further down <laughs> the spoiler list for sure but moving on to the next commander it is toski bearer of secrets three and a green for a one one legendary creature squirrel it can't be countered. It has indestructible. It attacks each turn if able. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Wow, I, I was really impressed by this card. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, this card made me very excited. It is kind of all of the fun parts of Edric without the table completely hating you for taking infinite turns or or yeah, something else like that. Or getting annoyed at you countering all their spells. Or... Exactly. So that made me really happy. This just slots into so many lists as well. Uh, you can just put this down, attack with a board, draw a bunch of cards immediately. This thing's indestructible. It doesn't really matter where you're sending it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's really cool and fun. It's just never going to be a blocker for you. Yeah, I think this thing just has so much utility. I, I have a feeling I'm going to play with this little squirrel guy for a long time. Yeah, uh, just a quick point of comparison. Oran Frostfang is uh, three green green for a two six snow creature snake. Attacking creatures you control have death touch. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Uh, that's in 8,642 decks on EDH rec. So that is seeing a lot of adoption and... Uh, you know, aside from the the death touch granting ability, Toski has a lot of the uh, is is better in several ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely agree. I think we're going to see a lot of him in like token lists, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And the deck it builds into seems really fun. Like you know, in the early game, you can run all these mana dorks to help you get out Toski faster, and then you can just use them to draw cards by turning them sideways. There's plenty of good token generators in this color identity. Seems like a really fun list. And we, we've got a link to it in the episode description. People may be complaining about green, but that this guy in particular just seems like a good way to throw a bunch of one ones at somebody and like not lose steam. Like that actually seems pretty fun to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think we Any can move thoughts? on. Yeah, the next one, there is a, a lot to say about it. So, yes. <laughs> so this next card is... Vorinclex, Monstrous Raider, four green green for a 6-6 six, six legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, Trample, Haste. If you would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, put twice that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead. If an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, they put half that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player 
instead rounded down. There's, I don't even know where to start. Um, I know there's so, for, there's so many words on here, but it's they're all like mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the uh, fact that this can be your commander that you like essentially have a doubling season in your command zone is nuts. That alone is insane. The fact that it turns off all of your friends like super friends decks and your friends playing plus one plus one counter list can't anymore <laughs> yeah there's a, a lot god the so it's it's worth noting that one significant difference between this and doubling season is that doubling season doesn't work on planeswalker activations doubling season only doubles counters from effects whereas like ticking up or down your planeswalkers are a cost but with Vorinclex is worded in such a way that if you like plus two your planeswalker, you're actually going to be adding four loyalty counters. So that's a huge, huge difference. Also, it's worth noting that because it doubles counters placed on players, if you have any infect creatures, uh, and there's several like five plus power infect creatures in mono green, they will deal twice as much infect. So like your putrefax becomes a one hit KO with haste uh, <laughs> uh your phyrexian hydra your phyrexian juggernaut both kill in one hit there's there's a lot you can do with this deck it seems very strong yeah this is i mean this is going to be the boogeyman at a lot of tables for a, a while now there's not much to say tech wise in particular because i think everyone knows what's good with doubling season uh it's anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> like everything is good with doubling season so I don't think it necessarily we should tell you like to play with your like forgotten ancient or something like that. But I do think that this just having access to doubling season or a doubling season, honestly, like maybe a little bit better variant is just really going to change the way that a lot of tables play. You know, there's going to be a a shift in the power dynamics of a lot of playgroups now that this card exists. Yeah, there's just like seven planeswalkers in mono green that if you cast them or like if they resolve with a foreign clex on the field it's going to be it seems like it would be incredibly difficult for you to lose um mm -hmm. and we don't need to get into all of them you can just do a gatherer search but you know if it says emblem and the numbers <laughs> work out you're probably going to be okay yeah enters with five loyalty just kidding 10 what's yeah. this a minus eight <laughs> there yeah. you go yeah exactly um we have a list. You can check it out. There's a lot of directions you can go with this commander. My list was a little light on the plus one plus one counter stuff and was focusing more on the, the planeswalkers and the infect um, and like a lot of ramp. But it's it's a broad enough commander that there's plenty of things you can do. Let's talk a little bit about some of the more meta aspects of this yes. card. Yeah, there's a lot just about the game that we can talk about now that we know that Vorinclex is here. Yeah, oh, and the story as well. So I, I guess let's jump into the, the whole Phyrexian creature type. That is a big change. Magic has such a long history of Phyrexians, and this kind of implies that we're going to see a massive overhaul of creature types to get everything Phyrexian listed as a Phyrexian. Yeah, which to me, I I think it's very cool. Um, it means that we can start mechanically caring about the Phyrexian creature type. A lot of people have built Phyrexian theme decks, and it would be great to be able to print a commander that's like you know Phyrexians you control get plus two plus two or something. Just 
something to to give you a mechanical boost for the thing you already wanted to do. Honestly, if there's a Phyrexian theme deck and there was just a way to print a card where someone didn't have to change their deck at all, they just put a different commander at the helm, I think that would be just a huge victory <laughs> for for a lot of these players and a lot of these like Vorthoses. The fact that they're bringing back Phyrexian like script there's multiple versions of Vorinclex because that's the age we live in. One of them is an all Phyrexian text version. Very cool. Very similar to the Judge Promo Elishnorn that came out like many years back now. Yeah, that's a great change. Um, and it, I, I love that it's going to be way more accessible than those Judge Promos because mm-hmm. if you want to get your hands on the the Judge Promo Elishnorn, it's currently going to run you about $265. Uh, yeah. But I, I assume that this Phyrexian text uh, Vorinclex is going to be a lot more attainable, which is great. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree, which is one of the reasons that I think we're going to see it so much. I think not specifically the Phyrexian text one, but if you want to get into the some of the story points, I'm happy to see Phyrexia again. I'm happy to see Vorinclex and like the Praetors are still around and stuff. I don't know if I'm happy for what that means about Cal time. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was pretty into this set so far, pretty into the concept. I feel like it's going to be a pretty big story cop out for a Phyrexian to be on a new plane and it not to be taken over <laughs> by the Phyrexians. All they got to do is, oops, here's some oil and wait a f- century, you know, like not, they don't really have to do much. Yeah. There's, this raises so many questions. Like, I, I think that. I, I totally agree with you. Like Phyrexians are such a huge threat that you really need to treat them seriously within the story to just like have this one-off Vorinclex. If it's just Vorinclex, if he's like the only Phyrexian and then he, then he shows up, gets killed by Kaya or whoever, and then that's it. That's really disappointing to the people who like, you know, are big fans of Phyrexia and want it to be treated with, the graveness it deserves yeah exactly like a single phyrexian could lead to the corruption of an entire plane so i you know wanted to be treated with some severity but to do so would take up so much real estate in the set that you, you wouldn't really get a lot of space to to show the themes that they wanted to do so, yeah so it's kind of a strange choice to include it here like i of course love new phyrexia i want to spend as much time there as possible. And so my appetite is not sated by a single copy of Vorinclex kind of as a non sequitur. Yeah, just kind of appearing. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like Vorinclex being here is, has enormous ramifications in the story. Uh, I guess the entire fear around the Phyrexians is like, what if they get out because they are so infectious, they could take over anywhere, but he's here. That's like the, Phyrexians getting out is terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah. What this means for every other magic set from now on is a lot. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to be following the story. Hopefully, this will be treated kind of with the the graveness and seriousness that it deserves. But right now, I'm very skeptical. I'm trying to reserve judgment, but I I'm not super pleased currently with what this looks like. Exactly. Like this is either like the end of Call Time, which is a set that I was pretty excited to get and like would have wanted to come back to, 
or kind of dishonest yeah exactly it's kind of just like a cash grab and like oh and then they beat back the phyrexians and you're like what (laughs) that easily yeah you're like any like they just could have done that really so man i guess those mirins like just sucked or something yeah (laughs) yeah i guess i guess wow everyone i guess kaldheim's just really kick-ass apparently (sighs) so yeah we'll see as a card and as a story element, Vorinclex is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm glad that the Phyrexians are being reintroduced. This is not yes. the way I would have done it. Yes. Uh, we'll see what this means for the future. Exactly. Definitely. All right. This next card is Vega the Watcher. One white blue for a 2-2 legendary creature bird spirit. It has flying, and whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. So we've talked about this a lot, but whenever you see draw a card as a reward, well, it typically pushes down the CMC of your deck because you've solved for cards and you're just trying to like get the mana cost as low as possible in order to enable you to churn through your deck really quickly. In this case, the, there's a lot of different ways to cast spells from outside your hand. With like foretell cards, you're casting them from exile. If you have like a snapcaster mage, if you, you know, granting something flashback, that allows you to cast it from your graveyard. There's also like jumpstart, retrace, other mechanics like this that will allow you to cast spells from other zones. And ideally, I think you would want to choose ones or like choose effects that also draw you cards because, mm-hmm. you know, casting like your distortion strike or something just to cantrip on the next upkeep i don't know if that's worth what do you what do you think do you think it's worth just like doing these cheap effects that don't really do anything other than trigger vega oh man it really depends i think if you're comboing yes i think if you're trying to get to like a specific combo then yeah just doing the thing so you can trigger vega and keep turning through your deck yes if you're building vega kind of like as a a little bit more controlly with like kind of a long game in line i would i would definitely say no because if you're spending your turn and all you're doing is spinning your wheels and your opponent has like four four fours yeah. you only have so many turns you can't do it forever yeah that's a good point uh one one thing of note is that there is a combo that shows up in a lot of cedh decks that works really well with vega and that is dramatic reversal and isochron scepter so Isochron Scepter is a two-mana artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you can imprint an instant with CMC two or less onto it, and then you can pay two and tap the Scepter to copy the imprinted spell and cast it without paying its mana cost. So Dramatic Reversal untaps all non-land permanents you control. So if you have like mana rocks and this Isochron Scepter, you can generate infinite storm and potentially infinite mana if you have enough mana rocks to, to both pay for the cost and have something left over. So if you have Icecron Scepter and Dramatic Reversal and you continuously activate it, then you'll draw a card off of Vega each time. Even if it's not mana positive when you start, eventually you'll draw into like um, cards like Soul Ring or Mana Crypt that will make it so that future activations are mana positive. And so you're, you get infinite cards, infinite mana, and you ought to be able to win from there. Uh, you're also in good colors for assembling that combo because you know blue is pretty good at tutoring for artifacts and tutoring for spells. 
So I think that's probably going to be the main line you're going for with Vega is just trying to combo out in that manner. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the Vega lists we're going to see. I, I really have a really soft spot in my heart for rebound spells and things like that, but I, I really don't think that's the best way to build this list. Also, it's worth noting, I didn't mention this before, but Vega is an uncommon. Oh, yes. Yeah, which is surprising. It seems like they're putting a lot of a lot of oomph in these uncommon legendary creatures, which is very exciting. Actually, kind of on that point, we are at least going to get one cycle, at least of the enemy colors. Oh, no, I actually, it looks like it's going to be all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is they're going to be like the draft pointers because they're two color uncommon cycle Great. of legendary creatures. And those in the past tended to be awesome. That's where we got uh, Sir Kara, Sir Conrad. That's where we've gotten just other really cool builds. Siona, you know? Captain of the Pileus. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm really excited to see this trend continue. Honestly, more so than a lot of the rares because these uncommons tend to be at a power level that's like pretty fun, but still requires you to build around them. So as we continue onward, our next one is not an uncommon, but We'll make note when they are in commons because uh, if we were just reading these off a few years ago, it'd be hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> but on that note, so this is a doozy. I'm going to say a lot of words, everybody. So this is Valky, God of Lies, a 2-1 god for one and a black. When Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they've revealed this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. Then you can pay X, choose a creature card exiled with Valky with converted mana cost X. Valky becomes a copy of that card. So, you know, that's pretty cool, right? Like you're like, oh, nice. Okay, I can I can make my guy into whatever busted thing is in people's hands. But this is a modal double face card. And the backside is Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. So Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter is a Planeswalker, enters with five loyalty, costs five black red. So a CMC of seven. As Tybalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with you may play cards exiled with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. So before even the loyalty abilities, you get that. Then he has a plus two, exile the top card of each player's library, minus three, exile target artifact or creature, minus eight, exile all cards from all graveyards, add three red. Okay, take a take a breather, take a moment. I said a lot of words. I think there's almost as many words on this magic card as is possible to put on a magic card. <laughs> so take a breather and then wow, what do you what do you think about this? I'd say I'm pretty high on this. I think this seems like a really fun controlling commander. Seven mana is a lot, but there are things you can do to protect him. Um, you know, it it can be difficult to keep a planeswalker on the board and commander. But having black in his color identity gives you a lot of ways to keep the board clear. Mm-hmm. Not only from traditional board wipes, but from things that stick around and kind of make it impossible to build up a board of creatures. I'm thinking specifically of Spreading Plague, which is four and a black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield, destroy all creatures that share a color with it. They can't be regenerated. So that will naturally just like murder a whole lot of stuff especially in commander where people have access to multicolored creatures a lot of the times thanks to their commander and it puts all of your opponents in a precarious position where like 
they really, really don't want to put creatures on the board because it's so easy for everyone else to wipe them. There's also Deathmatch, which is three and a black enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield, that creature controller may give target creature minus three, minus three until end of turn. And of course, the Abyss. All of these black enchantments just really, really punish anyone for putting creatures on the board. So if you have any of them out, I feel like Tybalt is relatively safe from opposing attackers. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. And then that's even discounting, like you said, that you do have black board wipes, you do have black kill spells, you have red kill spells. So the fact that you can kind of control the board, turn seven, drop Tybalt, and then you don't have to have Tybalt around to cast the cards. So if you drop Tybalt, you like plus minus him. plus to him minus like literally any of them and then he dies you can still cast the card he exiled or cards he exiled so i i really think this is a good card a good commander i think they hit the nail on the head i think people are going to be really excited to play with this guy yeah the i guess the only like downside the only like less good thing is that because he only allows you to play the cards that he exiled, um, there's not a lot of opportunities to build around him. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it like your deck is going to be a pretty typical black red control list. Yeah, I am also sad that you can't necessarily build around him much more than like I'm going to have a planeswalker. I'm going to protect him, and that that's a little bit of a bummer. And that control doesn't typically make friends. <laughs> yeah, true. So, so that's the those two things are my only negative points against Tybalt, but that's not a lot, you know. Yeah. So this is Firja, Judge of Valor, two white, black, black for a legendary creature, Angel Cleric. It's an uncommon. It's a two-four with flying and lifelink. And whenever you cast your second spell each turn, look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Uh, what what are your thoughts on this card? So, I mean, the first thing is, that, like, I'm glad it mills, so I'm glad it puts them in the graveyard. But it just kind of felt off to me. Like, not not that I dislike this card. It was just kind of felt mechanically, I'm trying to think of the word, like, askew. Um, and then someone in our Discord, it was Sage in the 805, mentioned that this is the same color that has rule of law. So having a color that goes we can only do one thing a turn just kidding i want to do two things a turn is is i think where that dissonance is coming from yeah and and like historically we've seen cards like jory n in blue red and it feels more appropriate in in yeah i think yeah, and they they put so many cantrips or rummaging spells or it's, it's easy to like cast spells and spin your wheels in like a blue red list and it's a little bit harder because so many of your cheap spells in black white are like removal spells and it's like, well, I I don't have any good targets right now, so I just can't farm my commander's trigger, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of weird. But I mean, all of that said, this is what we got. Like, this is one of the creatures that we'll get to play as a commander. So we can do stuff with it. Like, there is tech that we can build around. Do we, yeah. Do you want to talk about it a little bit before we move on? Sure. Um, so the fact that it fills your graveyard easily means that there's a little bit of synergy with reanimation effects. If you run, like, some boom booms and some reanimation spells like an animate dead or a necromancy or whatever 
then when you cast your second spell, you can hopefully, if everything goes right, put your uh, shield red or whatever or sepulchral primordial in your graveyard and put the the card that reanimates it into your hand. That can be a little bit tricky though, because you're only looking at three cards at a time. Your density would have to be pretty high to like to be able to reliably put stuff in the bin. So really what this seems like to me is that you probably have I actually this this is pretty similar to the list that you kind of cooked up. The cheapest best value cards in black and white tend to be removal spells. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of very good removal. It's very cheap, um, sometimes free in the case of like Snuff Out and uh, even things like Dismember that kind of don't cost a lot. And then you also get things like like Tithe. You get things like Gift of Estates, like spells that get you more cards in hand, like mana to keep casting your spells and stuff. And then eventually you're going to see your, I don't know, your Shieldred and you're going to pitch her to the bin and you probably saw an animate dead or something like that and you're going to be able to animate dead your shield rid eventually uh seems to me more like a lazy reanimator where you're kind of more interested in like value and playing like efficient cards until you can kind of get to a position where you can reanimate something safely as opposed to a dedicated i'm gonna mail eight cards there's a big guy reanimate him kind of list yeah, it's interesting. I think that overall this commander doesn't lend a lot of direction because of how it's worded. Like the hoop here is just play cheap spells, which doesn't necessarily push you strongly in any particular direction. Like you're just going to run, well, okay. I, I mean, that's kind of just going to push you towards the best cards in this color identity anyway. And then the reward is it matters a little bit that they go to your graveyard but it's mostly just like you know card advantage and card selection although like it can have a little bit of synergy with a reanimator sub theme overall this isn't the most unique commander deck i think like as i was building it, i'm just putting in a lot of good cards for the most part Mm -hmm. and i think that as time goes on that's going to be the trend that we see when people do build firja Firja, I guess you're supposed to pronounce it with like English pronunciation. <laughs> right now, the the best way to trigger these things is not there. There's just not a lot of cantrips or cards that draw cards efficiently, or like for like one or two mana in these colors. So yeah, um, I I do think that this is just what the trend is going to be. If people make this list, I think they're going to find that they're cutting cards for their land taxes and for their uh d sparks and for their uh flawless maneuvers and kind of cutting out a lot more of the kind of bigger four or five mana things that draw a lot of cards in black yeah so that's kind of it's a weird place to be mm-hmm. moving on to this next commander oh yes uh it is coma cosmos serpent three green green blue blue for a six six legendary creature serpent This spell can't be countered. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a 3-3 blue serpent creature token named Coma's Coil. Sacrifice another serpent. Choose one. Tap target permanent. Its activated abilities can't be activated this turn. Or Coma gains indestructible until end of turn. What are your thoughts on this guy? (laughs) His face is so small. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a tiny face. Um... 
I actually like this this design because this is it's fun to get free creatures and it's fun to feel like you're like outplaying your opponent and I think this lets you feel that way without actually like doing that. <laughs> I don't know if I feel like I'm going to outplay my opponent with this card. Oh. <laughs> I, I think if it like can't if my commander like can't be countered and is like very easy to make indestructible, then I I don't know if this is the design that lends you to feeling super smart mm, so what i mean when i say this is like uh specifically for like new players like have you ever played against like a seven-year-old playing like sorry or some like kind of game where the, the rules are pretty easy sure and and then they win and they're like haha i'm a master of this game i feel like this card is meant for maybe someone who doesn't typically play simic is gonna look at this and instead of seeing prime speakers are gonna or experiment crage at the shop they're gonna see coma go like wow i want to play that so i think this is going to appeal to the people that like ac appealed to sure um as opposed to people who are very resource focused i guess Uh or or uh card draw focus maybe maybe or or maybe um, it's like a different a different or a different type of commander player than those who find Turgrid appealing, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this is uh, one of the most Timmy designs I could imagine them making. And I feel like they built it in a way that when Timmy plays this, they feel like they are really doing it. You know, they're really going off. And I appreciate that. (laughs) It's, it's, this card is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's get into a little bit of tech. So just trying to build around this commander um oh man there was a little less than i was hoping for there are some powerful things that you can combine with this card for example like parallel lives or doubling season just to put twice as many serpents down there's things like elemental bond or garx pack leader that draw you a card whenever a creature with power three or greater enters the battlefield under your control those work really well together if you have an Earthcraft, you can get mana off of all these serpents that are clogging up the board. Or if you have an opposition, you can tap things down without actually having to sacrifice your dudes. And then, of course, like because you can pretty much pop an army out of nowhere, like you're you're untapping on the next turn with four three threes and a six six. Its overrun effects tend to be pretty good here. I think. Yes, the overwhelming stampede. The turn after you play Coma is going to deal a lot of damage. <laughs> Definitely a big, splashy mythic. I, I think this will appeal to players whom Simic has not really appealed to so far, just because it's really been a one-trick pony for the last few years. Mm-hmm. What do you think about running... This is like potentially a bit meaner, but uh-huh. uh, what do you think about building around the, the tap ability a bit more and running things like... Um, say back to basics or embargo like things that prevent things from untapping so that you can use your coma things and just lock your opponents out of the game oh (laughs) that's pretty funny yeah you could do like a lifeline changelings drop coma an opponent thinking about that that's solid yeah but an opponent can't really do anything for a turn (laughs) (laughs) that's Uh, pretty funny (laughs) Well, well, like the permanent lockdown is exciting to me. That seems like that might more directly lead down to a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that actually is a pretty valid build, like thinking about it now. <laughs> if you perhaps want to take Coma in like a little bit more spiky direction, that might be somewhere you could go with it. Yeah, it's um, a good color for a seven mana commander. <laughs> this, man, these next, these last couple commanders are all awesome. I know, they're all bangers. <laughs> so this next one is Cole the Forge Master. Red, white for a 2 2 legendary creature dwarf warrior. Uh, whenever another non token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, return it to its owner's hand. And creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one plus one. I'm going to go ahead and ignore that last ability because the first one builds into some combos relatively easily. If you happen to have a sacrifice outlet out and then a mana neutral creature like Ornithopter, and an equipment that can attach for free, like say Lightning Greaves or Ronin War Club, then you can like play your Ornithopter, attach the Lightning Greaves to it, sacrifice it to the sack outlet, Call will bounce it to your hand because it was enchanted or equipped, uh, and then you're back where you started, except you've generated whatever the sack outlet produces. So there are so many mana neutral creatures and so many equipment that attach for free, and so many sacrifice outlets in this color identity that you can pretty consistently just get all of your pieces in your opening hand and then just like win by turn three or four. I've been goldfishing with this, even like with the relatively low tutoring power in this color identity, it is not hard to assemble these combos. Yeah, no, it's uh I think part of that is just because a lot of like white red has gotten um things that really work with equipment and artifacts and things like that. So you're also we're hitting a critical mass of like looting. There are just a lot of these little cheap donks that have come out over the years that you can really abuse with this guy. So I it it's not too much of a surprise to me that um you can kind of just oops your way into a combo <laughs> as long as you got an ornithopter or like a crimson kobolds or something like that yeah absolutely well friend of the show alex white clay uh pulled together a list for us so we're going to be linking to that in the episode description but it seems like a very powerful uh consistent list so definitely look into that if you're interested in doing some red white combo yeah, and a very interesting red-white combo. <laughs> you get to play and see a bunch of cards that um, aren't being played in other lists, so I think that's pretty cool. This next commander is is basically two commanders, and yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's I don't personally. Well, I'll read the card out, but I don't personally like this design, and I'll get into yeah. why. So this is. The, this is a double face, a modal double face card. The front half is Essica, God of the Tree. It is one green green for a 1-4 legendary creature god with vigilance. She taps for one mana of any color and has other legendary creatures you control have vigilance and tap add one mana of any color. The back side of the card is the Prismatic Bridge. White, blue, black, red, green for a legendary enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or planeswalker card. 
put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. W- what are your thoughts on this card? Because I got plenty of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I find it really weird that they stuck these two designs together. I think that they both pull you in completely opposite directions. Yes, you could play Essica and play a bunch of like cheap legendaries so you can get your man and ramp into stuff. Um, but then if you do flip it, play the prismatic bridge, you're flipping into what, like Isamaro Hound of Kondo? Like Yeah, like that's like, a disaster. Like that seems terrible. It seems like you'd want to keep the Prismatic Bridge deck to very expensive, very impactful planeswalkers and creatures. Um, and you have all of them. You have any of them. You can flip into Progenitus. You could flip into an Eldrazi Titan. Sure. Yeah, Jingataxius. Like any anything. Like like whatever. Those are very bad with Essica. <laughs> so it it just really like where some of the other decks I can kind of see why they flip the way they do. Like I could see that you could have a Colvori deck that like is a bunch of legends and mono green and stuff like that. Or I could see that um, with the tag grid, like discarding cards and stuff like that. Maybe I do want to end the game with her lantern. This one, I, I don't really see how the two sides even remotely like synergize. <laughs> yeah, so. those are those are my thoughts. Exactly. There is no universe where like, you want to play your Essica and like you have your your Jingataxius in hand. Like you don't want a ten cost mana dork. Uh, and then you know, as as you said, conversely, like you don't want to flip into Isamara with the Prismatic Bridge. So this seems like two completely different decks. I I can't imagine one build that would really effectively make use of both halves of the card. Yeah. Um. Somebody on our Discord server, um, I think it was Raphael, suggested like you build the two decks and then randomly select which one you're going to use at the beginning of each game. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty fun. Yeah, that yeah. seems like a fun way to do it. Um, but this is honestly, this seems like uh, like a terrible use of modal double face design space. Yeah, exactly. This is just two cards stapled together where I feel like a lot of the other cards have been like there's been a reason or like a through line at, at bare minimum. I'm I'm not going to like really concern myself with how to build the prismatic bridge. I don't think you really need us to tell you just like <laughs> look for the most expensive and powerful creatures and planeswalkers and then run no other creatures or planeswalkers yeah then run spells and enchantments and things that are help you (laughs) yeah uh but i think the essica list is actually really interesting and i I was hoping to go into that a little bit yeah of course um so we're gonna have this linked in the episode description but there's a lot of really really fun things you can do with essica there's about seven ish like one or or zero CMC uh, legendary creatures that you can fit into the deck. I also put in a couple like two CMC legendary creatures with haste just because like they're, you know, a net one mana and also a bunch of mana dorks. And when you have like this many mana dorks in the deck, it ends up being like 20 different dorks or something. There are some 
some things that you can do with that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have like an aggravated assault, which is two in a red for an enchantment, uh, pay three red, red, untap all creatures you control. After this main phase, there's additional combat phase followed by additional main phase. Activate this ability only anytime you cast a sorcery. So because your commander like gives everything uh, the ability to tap for mana and also vigilance, you can attack with all your legends and I guess your mana dorks. Tap then post combat, tap them all to activate the aggravated assault. Everything untaps. You can swing again with your legends and then infinite attack steps. That seems pretty good. Similarly, Najila the Blade Blossom is actually kind of neat in the main deck, but it's just so hard to run in most lists because of that five color identity. Mm -hmm. Um, But she has an activated ability white, blue, black, red, green, untap all attacking creatures. They gain trample, lifelink, and haste until end of turn. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. Activate this ability only during combat. So again, if you've got enough legendary creatures attacking, you can just keep activating Najila over and over for infinite attack steps. And then if Najila or another warrior is attacking in that group, then you also get infinite warriors attacking. Uh, It all seems pretty good um yeah yeah i I would uh echo that sentiment that that seems pretty good (laughs) what i've been i've been putting a lot of like coastal piracy uh reconnaissance mission tusky effects in the deck so that because so much of the deck is around like both attacking and casting stuff these things that allow you to draw cards when you're hitting your opponents are all pretty strong if you've got one of those going if you've got one of those things that'll draw you cards on hit going then waves of aggression becomes another way to combo off because if you're drawing multiple cards you're drawing into lands then you can keep retracing waves of aggression to untap all creatures that attack this turn uh, get an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase and that'll be almost like another activated ability that you can use to deal infinite damage there's a lot, lot, lot of tech in this deck. A lot of really cool stuff. I Again, I would recommend checking out the list in the episode description because I think it's a pretty sweet one and uh, a, a lot more interesting than the other half of the card. Yes, I agree with that. I also think it's really funny that uh, the the one benefit that Essica has to being a modal double face card is that even though her front face is entirely green, just mono green, you do get all of the colors because <laughs> the prismatic bridge is on that backside so yeah um very silly like you said i think actually an interesting list to build around We're, we did it for now i think with the legends yeah uh let's see how many hours in and we've gotten to <laughs> uh we'll try to speed through these remaining cards um, yeah i don't have too much to say about a lot of them so well, we're going to do, as as is our tradition, we're going to do the Planeswalkers first, and then we'll go into the rest of the main deck cards. So we're going to start with Nico Eris. Nico is X, white, blue, blue for a three loyalty Planeswalker. When Nico enters the battlefield, create X shard tokens. They are enchantments with two, sacrifice this enchantment, scry one, then draw a card. Nico's plus one is up to one target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. Whenever that creature deals damage this turn, return it to its owner's hand. Also, minus one, Nico deals two damage to target tapped creature for each card you've drawn this turn, and minus one, create a shard token. What are your thoughts on this card? I think it's really interesting that this card is kind of like a weird, like, delayed 
Sphinx's revelation and also a planeswalker. <laughs> um, I think it's there's not like a place that I'm really looking to play Nico right now. I can I can think of one place where it's pretty good. What stands out to me about Nico? Well, okay, I'll, I'll say this first. I really like planeswalkers without ultimates, and yes. so congrats to Nico on that. Just because uh, I've probably ultimated a planeswalker less than two dozen times in ten years, ten plus years of playing Commander. Most of the time, uh, an ultimate is kind of just blank text on the card, and I'd much rather have this combination of like plus one, minus one, minus one. So it's like, okay, I've got way more options on what I can do with this thing, as opposed to like. I've got two things I can do and one like line of flavor text. So I like that. And then one thing that stands out to me about Nico that is unique about them is that it's the best way to make a ton of enchantment tokens. There are not many ways to like to generate enchantment tokens at a good rate. And so if you've got like a Bant Enchantress build with a whole bunch of constellation stuff, you know, you can spend like five white blue blue and get five um like eidolon of blossom triggers or something like that that seems yeah. really good to me um, that actually is pretty cool <laughs> yeah and and of course like if you got a sarah's sanctum out and untapped then that'll just like immediately refund you most of the mana that you spend on nico so that seems pretty good yeah that does actually seem really good i'm happy like you said that they don't have an ult and i'm happy that there's probably going to be more places for shards in the future too so definitely like an interesting planeswalker and I I like what Nico's doing. I just uh I guess I don't necessarily have a place right now. <laughs> I've yet to build that enchantment list. Yeah, my enchantment deck is uh is Obzon, so I I do also do not have a place for Nico at the moment, but there are lists out there that'll be mm-hmm. happy to use them. Yeah. This is Tyvar Kell. 2 green green for a 3 loyalty planeswalker it has a static ability elves you control have tap add black tyvar's plus one is put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target elf untap it it gains death touch until end of turn zero create a one one green elf warrior creature token and minus six you get an emblem with whenever you cast an elf spell it gains haste until end of turn and you draw two cards i i'm a big fan of this of this planeswalker i don't know about you mm-hmm. no I, I am too i think this like does elf tribal really well and like even if you get wrathed and top deck tybarkel like you're still in a pretty good spot so i I, he checks a lot of boxes uh defends himself well the extra mana is really cool just all around i'm i'm pretty into him and four mana is kind of a good spot for a planeswalker to be in commander because you actually get to play with it (laughs) Yeah, I, I love a lot of things about this card. I love that I'm able to get additional utility off of my like my elves that don't naturally tap for mana, like my Reclamation Sage or my Wood Elves or whatever. I like that it works really well with some of the most powerful elves, like being able to untap Priest of Titania or Elvish Archdruid or Wirewood Channeler as a plus ability. That seems really strong. Uh, and then of you know making uh, tokens that can themselves tap for black mana that's sweet and then of course like that emblem is it's just game ending <laughs> yeah it's it's exactly what you want to be doing with it, it seems like impossible to to not win when you have that emblem in an elf deck i know yeah 
This is so sweet. Um, definitely toss it into your Lathril deck. Toss it into if you got like a Miara and a uh, a Numa deck. Those partners from Commander Legends definitely toss it in there. Seems very good. Mm-hmm, definitely. So excited that Tyvar exists. Uh, like really cool. And now we're into main deck cards. So this first white card is Search for Glory. It is a three mana snow sorcery. So snow is back. Uh, snow instants and sorceries are a new thing in the set, and this is one of them. But to get to the card, it has search your library for a snow card, legendary card, or saga. Reveal it, put that card into your hand, and shuffle your library. You gain one life for each snow spent casting this spell. I, uh, I'm kind of into this card. Like, you know, there's very few things white can tutor for in general. So I'm always on the lookout for things that fit into the toolboxes of white tutors. And I think this card, the things it search for are broad enough that you can do a lot of things with it. It, it Like the toolbox is pretty big. If you just need like cheap, uh, effective removal right now, you can get on thin ice, which is like one mana, an aura that goes on a snow land and exiles. And it's, it's like a journey to nowhere. Um, if you like need to get rid of kind of any permanent, you can get Elspeth Conquers Death. If you need to wrath the board of big creatures, you can get Elspeth Sun's Champion. If there's a bunch of active like managed works that you want to shut off, you can get Linvala. If you need like a really big wrath, if you just want to reset the board, you can get Urza's Ruinous Blast. Of course, there's Ugin the Spirit Dragon. All of Heliod's generosity is really important for an enchantment-based list. This will help you find it. Uh, same deal with Sarah Sanctum. And then if you're in mono white, if you're like able to get devotion pretty well, uh, then Nykthos is another card that you could find with this. So it's kind of like an expedition map, kind of like an idyllic tutor. It j- just does a lot of things. This uh, seems like a very flexible card. Wasn't quite sure what to make of it, but like talking to you about it kind of made me go, oh, this I actually might just put this in lists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this is this is enough actual good targets of cards that i was kind of running in a lot of lists anyway so i'm I'm pretty excited about it and in that note there is a card i'm not as excited about <laughs> this next card is a translation so this might change but it's not very complicated this is rally the ranks so rally the ranks is one in a white two mana for an enchantment as rally the ranks enters the battlefield you choose a creature type and creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one plus one. So no, yeah, no. I, I know it's two mana. Still not enough, you know. Shared triumph. This is basically just an asymmetrical shared triumph. And I don't think breaking symmetry matters that much. I mean the non-tribal commander decks are going to have like a pretty broad array of creature types. So Maybe giving like one of your opponent's soldiers plus one plus one is not a huge downside on shared triumph. I'm trying to make the point that like rally the ranks is pretty much exactly shared triumph, and (laughs) and shared triumph only sees play in 723 decks on EDH rec, and we've had how many decades to play with it? Exactly. I do not think this is going to make an impact. I have said many times that like plus one plus one is not a big enough buff in a format where everyone has 40 life and there's a lot of opponents. So I don't think this is going to be a playable card. Yep, that's pretty much Commander Theory 101 right there. (laughs) So Aurin's Epiphany. This is a blue mythic sorcery. 
It costs seven mana, five blue blue. Create two one one blue bird creature tokens with flying. No, no, I'm kidding. There's more. Take an extra turn after this one. Exile Alrin's Epiphany. So you create two one one blue birds, and then you take an extra turn, and then you exile Alrin's Epiphany. But it also has foretell. The foretell cost is four blue blue. So you can kind of spread this out on your turn. You can pay two, play it face down for the foretell. And then later on on another turn, you can pay six to cast it instead of seven. Um, and it kind of was sitting there in exile waiting for you to, to do the thing. So how do you feel about this card? It's definitely a downgrade over things like part the water veil or, or things that are just naturally six mana extra turn effects, even ones that exile themselves. This isn't going to, I mean, it, it doesn't slot into those extra turn recursion type of combos like the Archaeomancer, um, Riptide Laboratory, Time Warp type combos. But there are some decks that like do not care whether the extra turn effect exiles itself and don't even particularly care how much it costs. So like Narset Enlightened Master just wants maximum density of extra turn effects. And so this is going to go in the the deck because you know she does not care at all about recurring things she just wants to keep the combo rolling god eternal kefnet because it's not because god eternal kefnet doesn't tend to actually cast the spell itself mostly just relies on recycling like the spell so you can cast the copy over and over will probably be okay to run this i mean it's still going to cost you five in that sense but it's it's whatever you just want to combo off and five is uh achievable i agree <laughs> uh, i would also consider running this in bird tribal lists or maybe like flying tribal lists like say kangi 1.0 or kangi 2.0 uh just because it's adding like those decks are going to get a lot more value out of the birds than average decks yeah you're gonna not only are you getting an extra turn you're probably getting like two to four power more of uh of bird happening or perhaps six or more depending on what your your bird pump effects are yeah how many currently on board. you have at the moment yeah exactly so yeah so this is glimpse the cosmos this is one in a blue for a sorcery look at the top three cards of your library put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order and then it also has this other bit of text as long as you control a giant, you may cast Glimpse of the Cosmos from your graveyard by paying blue rather than paying its mana cost. If you cast Glimpse the Cosmos this way and it would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. Kind of really cheap giant flashback spell. I love this. I think this is really cool. And I think this and other cards we're going to talk about shows me that they're really thinking about like what giant tribal should be in a way that they weren't when Lorwyn was, yeah, yeah. was happening. It's really cool that they're giving us effects to do on turns one, two, three, four before you actually have a giant down. And then when you have your giant down, you can get some rewards and do some cool stuff. So I really like this card. I am 100% on the same page. Having a tribal deck built around large creatures, creatures that tend to be expensive, can be difficult when you're not in colors for ramp. Like it seems like this this giant tribal deck is solely blue red, and neither of those have much of a track record for acceleration. So it it seems like it would naturally be frustrating to just have all these like five plus cost creatures in your hand, 
and nothing you can really do on turns one through four. But they have been really smart about giving you this. This is not even like the first, the the only card spoiled this week that is like clearly intended for the giant deck, and it gives you something to do on the early turns. Uh, I think that's very clever of them. You feel like you're not just wasting time. You're not just feeling impatient. Like oh, I am. I am setting things up. I am finding better giants. I am uh, doing things with my mana and I'm not just getting annoyed. I think it's cool. I really like this. And of course, you know, these types of cantrips are pretty easy to fit into decks. They just like help you smooth out your draws. They're cheap. Um, so I, I like this card a lot. Yeah, definitely. And like we both mentioned, there is going to be more cards like this we're going to mention today. So very excited about that. Um, this next blue card is called Ravenform. It is a sorcery, two and a blue, exile target artifact or creature. Its controller creates a 1-1 bluebird creature token with flying, and it has foretell for a blue. So I like this card in general. I, I think it's not as good as the like three or four other options we have for creature removal, but I do think it's interesting that it's like, pretty good artifact removal in blue mm-hmm. don't really have much more thoughts on it other than that. <laughs> yeah like if this was an instant i would 100 percent slam it in a bunch of blue decks but the fact that it's a sorcery and it like can't respond to threats immediately makes me wonder like should i should i not just play a counter spell instead should i not yeah <laughs> yeah because you're still spending three mana even if it is kind of chilling in the foretell zone yeah um for a while before you get to use it so it, i would i mean i would play this in the foretell list i'd play this in ranar and vega the foretell commander so far i would play it in i it, i would probably obligatorily have to play it into alrund because why not <laughs> like but yeah it seems like in general there's better options at this point but it's it's interesting design space. It could be that they're slow rolling something. Like you know how uh with like black enchantment removal, they started off with Mire and Misery, and then we got like Farika's libation. And it wasn't until the third time they tried to do it with uh Feed the Swarm that I think we got a card that really met the threshold of commander playability. So maybe we can expect something similar if this is design space that they're like dipping their toes into that they'll get that this type of effect like actually answering artifacts on the board in blue uh, is something that'll we'll start getting like more aggressively costed versions over time mm-hmm. yeah well let's find out <laughs> this next card uh, this is our last blue card for the day this is reflections of lit jara so this is five mana four and a blue for an enchantment as reflections enters the battlefield choose a creature type whenever you cast a spell of the chosen type copy that spell And then there's reminder text, uh, just to remind you all as well, a copy of a permanent spell becomes a token. I think you have uh, the big spicy one. (laughs) Do you want to mention that? Uh, Sure. Okay, this is kind of like, uh, this is kind of goof because (laughs) I I don't think it's like a good idea to actually do this. But if you name illusion, then it'll go infinite with palancron. Yep. Uh, and that's that's pretty cool. But that's funny, yeah. I think I, my, I don't think you're gonna do that. Yeah, I think like there are some tribes that it is good in. Uh Unish doubling all the triggers is really good. It's really good in like five color tribes. So like getting two slivers, getting two allies, definitely doubling up on your value there. 
Um, wizards like Naban getting four of a trigger when things enter in the late game, that's like pretty good. So um, all in all, oh, one day when we get a Merfolk commander that kind of does more too, <laughs> yeah, that this will be a good place for that. But I, I think that a good indicator of like where this will be good is how much of the how much of the power of your creatures of your tribal deck is just about like things entering if you're like just trying to turn guys sideways it's not very useful to spend your entire turn five to name like goblin or something and then you get two war chiefs on your next turn or something Mm -hmm. but if you're playing like an aban or an anala where like the deck is built around the how useful these wizards are just on the face of i'm only going to be here for one turn that's more likely to be good because then you're more likely to be leaning on ETB triggers and things like that. And I think that, you know, for the same reason, that's why they're good in Unesh and um, maybe also Reaper King. Just cause, oh, yeah, that's true. Because like doubling up on Vindicates is a lot it's stronger. <laughs> yeah, than like, you know, doubling up on zombies for your Varina trigger or whatever. Yeah, exactly. The zombies don't tend to add a lot to having two of them a lot of the zombies with etbs are either expensive or not worth it like aren't being played in zombie list right now so yeah all right let's move on to the black cards uh we're gonna start with draugr necromancer this is three in a black for a four four snow creature zombie cleric if a non-token creature an opponent controls would die exile that card with an ice counter on it instead you may cast spells from among cards in exile your opponent's own with ice counters on them, and you may spend mana from snow sources as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. Uh, what do you think about this card? I think this is really cool. It's just another reason to run Snowlands. I feel like this set's going to give us mostly <laughs> reasons to basically just always run Snowlands. I mean, th- this, I-, I just don't really... Well, okay. I guess I don't see this being like super crazy powerful, but... I think it does work in lists where you would care about the type line. If you are caring about uh, zombies, if you have a commander that kills things, then this is going to go up in value for you. Or if you care about it being a cleric. But I, I don't think I would just jam this straight into every mono black deck. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that decks that can subsidize the card because of like its type line, for sure, you know, I would... I would definitely test this in Aura. I would look to fit this into zombie lists. And yeah, if you know, if I was running like a Shield Red or yeah. Visara, something like that. And also like if a snow commander materializes, I would probably run this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what their if there is a snow commander, what color or colors they're gonna put it in. There's been uh, decent stuff in like most colors by this Yeah, point. exactly. And so I'm not sure if they're gonna choose and be like, no esper is the snow colors or if they're going to be like no like like sultai is the snow colors or if they're just going to be like the black commander is the snow commander or like it's kind of hard to tell what their decision might be uh especially since we've already kind of gotten a five color legend in the set so i'm kind of hoping it'll be a five color commander just because if they limit it to a a really narrow color identity i think people are just going to go well screw this i'll just play golos instead and yeah (laughs) yeah so kind of hoping that they go broad with that one but we'll see this is eradicator valkyrie 
So Eradicator Valkyrie is a 4-3 Angel Berserker for 4 mana, 2 black black. They have Flying, Lifelink, Hexproof from Planeswalkers, and they have a Boast ability, so you can activate it once each time you attack. So the Boast is 1 in a black, sacrifice a creature, each opponent sacrifices a creature or Planeswalker. I do this in more efficient ways with other cards already, so I'm not sure if I want to substitute that for a 4-mana angel that has to attack. Yeah, this is definitely not going to replace Merciless Executioner in any of my decks. I do think it could see some play in Commander with like a whole lot of caveats. So it is an angel. If we do see an angel commander in the set, that might help it out because I think the pool of good angels is shallow enough that this might see play, especially considering that most of the good angels cost five or more mana. So an opportunity for a playable angel that costs four or less it's uh it's got less stiff competition and i think that like maybe eventually it will get replaced i don't think it's going to be the best angel in the black white angel deck provided we mm-hmm. see a commander for it as it stands this is something to fill out the lower end of your curve and it could get you value at some point although i am a little bit skeptical about the angel deck having a lot of creatures that is that it's just willing to throw away like when so many Mm. of your angels are expensive sacrificing a creature hurts a lot more than if you're running like a sapperling deck yeah i I think this is also fine it just for redundancy like if your list is like really maxing out on like blood gas defiomancer just sacking things like you don't have your attrition yet or something like that then like sure (laughs) like this is another way to use those like kind of little guys and get some more value out of it but i just wouldn't clamor to like replace a card with it yeah personally i see this as pretty limited to angel rival but maybe we'll see how i I agree there's one note though just because of the way boast works so this is an angel you can play it with kalia but when kalia puts an angel onto the battlefield tapped and attacking you've kind of missed the opportunity to activate the boast. It didn't do the action of attacking. It just kind of is attacking. Therefore, you can't boast it. So that's just a, if someone was thinking of putting it into that list, just be wary of the non-bow there. Um, So with that said, we're going to move on to the red cards. And do you mind if I read off this first one? Go for it. Yeah, so this is Calamity Bearer. This is a 3-4 giant berserker for 4 mana, 2 and 2 red. If a giant source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead. Yeah, this is this is great. This is exactly what I want. Man, I'm I'm really getting pumped for the giant commander because this is a excellent tribal reward for committing to to giants. Oh yeah, I mean we were kind of talking about it earlier. I'm gonna go a little bit more in depth. The problem with Lorwyn giants was that they all required you to have a bunch of like. Like it started at four, but then you go like four, five, six drop, and they all kind of required you to have giants on the field. And then they all scaled off of the giants you had. So it was just really kind of like ignorant to the fact that you're in red, white. Even if you're playing 60 card, you're still red, white doesn't have the ramp (laughs) you need Mm -hmm. for that. And and the rewards were like my six, six trample is now a 10, 10 trample. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, why Why would I want to do that if, if I have, like, three more giants on the battlefield? So Calamity Bearer is, like, rad reward. If you go do some stuff, turn one, two, three, maybe play some ramp cards, whatever, play Calamity Bearer, who himself is going to attack for six, 
And then every other giant, like let's say you drop Calamity Bear after playing your Ruhan or playing whatever other giant, you're just getting in there. Like that's that is that's pretty big game. And yeah. uh, just imagine slapping Fire Giant's Fury on this thing, and like hitting for ten, exiling the top ten cards of your library. Like insane. So much, so much card advantage, so much damage. I, I'm a big fan of Calamity Bear. I think this is a, a perfect tribal reward. Very excited to see the other giants that we get. Actually, all of these red cards are pretty bangers, so do you care if I get on to the next one? Go for it. <laughs> this is Goldspan Dragon. This is a 4-4 Flying Haste Dragon for 5 mana, 3 red red. Whenever Goldspan Dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token. Uh, they also have treasure tokens you control, have tap, sacrifice this artifact, add 2 mana of any color. So doubles your mana projection on treasures gives you treasures by attacking is a hasty 4-4 flyer um all for the low low price of five mana i like this i like this a lot this is going to go up in value uh, monetarily and like deck building wise as we continue to see treasure cards that they're printing because they have now officially said that like treasure is yes that's just something red is going to get so this card is pretty good right now it's going to be really good in two years is my guess yeah, currently there's 40 treasure producers in Magic. 36 of them are are concentrated in uh, blue, black, and red. I don't think it's really possible to build just a treasure deck like agnostic of the commander. I think like in order to make use of Goldspan Dragon, you need a commander that can produce treasure. And that's pretty much just Magda at the moment. You're in Magda. If you're building Magda in the combo direction you're not going to be sacrificing your treasures for mana that much. You're going to be funneling them into her ability to search things out. So the the benefit of like making your treasures sacrifice for double is not going to be as useful most of the time. But that being said, if you want to go for like the Dockside Extortionist Cloudstone Curio combo and the, your opponents aren't running enough artifacts and enchantments to meet the threshold goldspan dragon will help you get there because normally like for the dockside extortionist cloudstone curio combo you need to be making enough treasures to pay for dockside extortionist plus the cost of whatever your cheapest other non-artifact creature is plus you know an additional treasure so you're actually netting mana off the interaction so generally that you just have magda and dockside extortionist you need to be making at least five treasures and because it's dependent on what your opponents are doing, that might not always happen. But Goldspan Dragon makes it a lot easier to go off. You only need to be making three treasures in that scenario in order to to get your infinite mana, infinite treasures, infinite deck searching. It could be useful in that respect as just like an additional way to help you get over the hump if your opponents are not cooperating and you murdering them. Mm-hmm. Magda is probably the best place for it now. I'm probably going to end up putting it in like my red Malcolm list for like the oh, same reason. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about Malcolm. Oh, you know, I mean, the, the, he doesn't combo as much as <laughs> Magda does. So it's it's like just a very, I would say that's just like a, a note more than a, a feature, you know? No, that, but, that is a good point. If you're going ham on treasure in Malcolm, then maybe this would be a good a good addition there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and pick these up, especially if they're cheap now, because much like a uh, Hellkite Tyrant was just like a buck oh, to 50 cents for years. And now it's many dollars. That is exactly what I can see happening with this guy. 
and it is nice that his net mana cost is only three. Like that's a reasonable investment, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. The fact that whether it sticks around or not, like you're getting a treasure token out of it. Yeah, he's giving you a mail in rebate. Yeah, so that's that's great. I I love this guy. This is a really cool card. This is Reckless Crew, and again, this is a translation, so uh, some of the name, some of the words might change over time. But Reckless Crew is a four mana sorcery, three red. Create X two one red dwarf berserker creature tokens, where X is the number of vehicles you control plus the number of equipment you control. For each of those tokens, you may attach an equipment you control to it. The <laughs> this is really cool. This is really good in a lot of. I think we've been seeing a lot of Arden Togo lists that just you have so many rocks, you have a ton of just stuff. Uh, Wyleth lists where you have like a bunch of equipment stacked up on your guy now you also have a bunch of two ones for just like four mana this is just a thing that they've been really building towards in red white and And of course we'd be remiss if we didn't mention you know tossing it into depala oh yeah of course depala yeah i just think it's it's really good it kind of makes your rocks that might just be sitting around with togo into like an x spell because all of a sudden you can just pay six to deal 12 to something or someone or something like that. Depala, all of a sudden you can just crew everything. <laughs> you have an army out of nowhere. Very good. So th- this fits into, I think a lot of strategies now and is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm into this card. I'm glad it exists. Yeah. So this is seize the spoils. Seize the spoils is another red sorcery. It is two and a red as an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card. And then it has draw two cards and create a treasure token. So I have been fruitlessly trying to play with Pirate Spillage for like the last two, three years. It gets cut every single time. Every single time I try to play with that card, it gets cut. This, I don't know if it will get cut. I think this is the sweet spot for that because Thrill of Possibility and Tormenting Voice exist and see play in a massive amount of lists. Yeah, both um, of them over 10,000. Yeah, so this just seems like it's kind of in a sweet spot where it, it does give you a mana for another turn, gives you an artifact token, it does get you the cards. Three mana is not an absurd amount, and if you just need to keep casting spells, it kind of refunded. It, it basically is the same as Thrill of Possibility if you're going to cast two spells in a turn. So, um, Or I, I should say Tormenting Voice, being that it's a sorcery. But I talk all the time about these effects i'm a big fan of them the fact that this can potentially be ramp is nice uh i i think it's especially good in neheb the eternal because this is good late game when you're just digging for gas it's good early game because it curves you perfectly into casting neheb on turn four so i'm i'm into this card i like all of these types of effects i think this is a good one it's definitely better than pirate's pillage because of the lower initial investment but happy to see it yeah really cool let's go ahead and move on to the green cards all right so this first green card this is a translation so the name might change slightly blizzard fight a single green mana for a snow sorcery Choose target creature that you control and target creature you don't control. If you control three or more snow permanents, the creature you control gets plus one plus zero and indestructible until end of turn. Then the creatures fight. So this is a simple fight spell. It's naturally going to fit into the decks that are interested in that, like Ronus the Indomitable and Naeth of the Dire Hunt. It's kind of weird. Like All of these snow cards that fit into existing decks feels like infectious. It feels like a virus. It really does. (laughs) Like Because... Of this single snow card infecting like your Ronus deck. Now all Ronus 
decks from here until the end of time like need to run snow basics or they're just going to be a little bit worse yeah and and i was as a tip from friend of the show alex white clay running snow in more decks just as like a one or two of to help with like field of the dead synergies and stuff like that or Mm -hmm. like when cards that care about names where it seems like that's going to be a thing that's going on let's say i was going to run a deck with field of the dead Right now, I might put a snow forest and a snow like swamp, a snow mountain, whatever, in to synergize with Field of the Dead. And now I'm feeling like I'm going to flip that, <laughs> where it's going to be more snow forests, snow islands, whatever it is, and like the one planes to help the Field of the Dead. Like it really does feel like I'm missing out just because there's like this one card or two cards that really like reward you for just doing something that doesn't really challenge your deck building Uh it's really i don't know it feels bad honestly yeah i mean maybe we'll see some reason in this set to not play snow it's possible we'll see some kind of hoser but even Mm. then like unless it's something really aggressive unless it's like you know a one or two mana enchantment that draws a card when it enters the battlefield i just don't know who's going to bother like wasting a deck slot to maybe potentially hose snow even if they print a good hoser i don't know if it's going to matter i i think it's still going to be correct to run snow cuz nobody's yeah. going to bother to to run the card that hoses you no exactly well they did say so in the good morning magic they're just like quick little 5 minute episodes where he talks about a magic thing usually like the newest set or like a design of a set or something like that. And he did say that there's going to be one card in the set that is kind of like a, a counterplay to Snow. Uh, he didn't say what it was, if it was going to be like a creature or an enchantment or a spell. But it's kind of like you said, if it's not worth it, if it isn't just kind of generically good on like the surface, then it's just not going to matter. <laughs> yeah. Snow basics are, for the most part, going to be affordable when this set comes out it's just mm-hmm. like you know full art snow basics are going to be a little bit harder to get your hands on and of course there's just way less variety in like the arts for snow basics it just seems like mostly a downgrade in terms of like the aesthetics of your deck in mm-hmm. order for it to have like a slight mechanical advantage people in r&d have mentioned like publicly is when modern horizons came out and especially like in Popper when like Astrolabe mm-hmm. was like just ruining things. People spent a lot of money on like beta forests and mountains and they, they spent money on these like basic lands to like kind of aesthetically flush out a deck and like be something that was like personal to them. And they felt like it, there's no point to do that anymore because like all of a sudden in modern, you might as well just run snows and you only have like, three arts to choose from prior to this set so it's like well what was the point of me getting my like golgari lands uh or like what was the point of me getting my like foil unstable lands like i'm just i have to throw them out now and run these snow lands Mm -hmm. yeah it's just less fun for a lot of players less options for personalization yeah it's kind of unfortunate but the segue to next card is actually not this. This card is pretty cool and not make me feel those bad feelings. <laughs> this is Elvish Warmaster. This is a 2-2 elf warrior for two, one in a green. Whenever one or more other elves enter the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. So it does not go infinite if you 
do happen to get a bunch of elves in one shot, good job, you did it. <laughs> but it also has this cool little ability. Five green green, elves you control get plus two plus two and gain death touch until end of turn. So that's an interesting variant on Overrun. I like this card. I mean, you, you all can probably figure out where it's <laughs> going to be correct to run yes. There's only a handful of elf tribal decks. You probably want to run it in all of them. I will say that it's better in Lathril than it is in like uh, Azuri Renegade Leader yeah, or in um, Miara and Numa, just because Numa and Azuri provide you with a mana sink for your elves, but Lathril does not. And just in like the testing I've done with Lathril, I kind of wish I had something to spend all my elf mana on. So it, this is going to be slightly better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I, I also think like I'm mostly going to be running this for that first ability period even if i am putting it in just any other elf list and the times when like someone exiles azuri and i can't save him or something like that that's when i'll be like hmm well i guess i'll slightly less efficiently overrun you now mm-hmm. and it's kind of that, that's kind of just like a little bit of uh frosting on the cake for this guy for me at least yeah and and i guess there is a, a tiny bit of synergy between this and azuri renegade leader because you know giving your guys trample with azuri and then death touch with the war master means mm-hmm. that less of your damage is absorbed by creatures yeah that is really true so we all know elf decks can just crank yeah. that mana out so yeah, it's not unreasonable to get 12 mana so i'm just surprised that they keep making playable elves that i'm like oh all right cool i'm nice all right, moving on to Essica's Chariot. Uh, this is three and a green for a 4-4 legendary artifact vehicle. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, create two two green cat creature tokens. And whenever Essica's Chariot attacks, create a token that's a copy of target token you control. And it has crew four. So what do you think about this card? What decks might be interested in this card? Yeah, I mean, on the surface, I like this card. I like that if you top deck it you can crew it get more cats like it's not really like a completely dead draw like a lot of vehicles are i am not sure where i'd play right now like my gut said like tristani because that deck typically focuses on like more impactful tokens as opposed to multiple tokens just so you can gain life and populate them easier so if you play the chariot populate with tristani populate with the chariot that's doing a little bit better than just putting it in a deck with the two cats as the fuel. And in that same kind of vein, Gearhead also kind of makes me think that I would do that too. Like populating the Rhino seems pretty good. Mm-hmm. So those are two. And then it does say cats. So like Arabo, I guess, maybe, you know? Yeah, I was I was going back and forth on that. Like Arabo does tend to want to go tall on a single cat like it's it's a more difficult for a robo to go wide but maybe if you're running a bunch of anthem effects that this would be a good fit for it in that deck and of course like it does create a new cat every turn i, I don't know yeah potentially i like that they're still they haven't given up on vehicles because i think in order for vehicles to one day be like good or have like staple vehicles or have more synergy with other cards that already care about vehicles like we just need more <laughs> of them so I want them to keep printing vehicles. I'm glad that they're experimenting like this. So I'm, I'm happy to, to see this, even if I don't know what I'm going to do with it right now. Moving on. Uh, oh, this is actually possibly my favorite card we've seen this week. <laughs> so this is Masked Vandal. It is one in a green for a 1-3 creature shapeshifter with Changeling. 
Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, exile target artifact or enchantment an opponent controls. My point of reference for this is Woodland Changeling, which is one in a green for a 2-2 Changeling. And that card sees play in Ayula, it sees play in Rin and Seri, Reaper King, uh, Galia, Atla Palani, and Sashiro. I think pretty much every deck that's running Woodland Changeling probably wants this as well. It, it is like a slight downgrade in stats, but late game, if you're like any sort of tribal deck is going to have creatures in its graveyard in the late game. And so I think late game, this is just going to be like cheaper reclamation sage with relevant creature types. It just seems like a very, very good card for tribal lists that need to fill out their deck with changelings. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Man, I am so looking forward to every new changeling. Just being yeah. able to to lower the average CMC of changelings helps so many decks just enormously. Like I I have my everything tribal list and just because of lack of options I'm still running like horrible four CMC changelings like four cost three twos with vigilance mm-hmm. just cuz <laughs> I have I don't have enough good options, but seeing cards like this that are super cheap and and even offer a little bit of additional value is like wow, perfect, exactly what I need. This is Sarul's Packmate, three and a green for a three-three creature wolf. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card, and it has Fortell for one and a green. So you can pay two and exile it from your hand face down during your turn, and then you can cast it for its Fortell cost on a later turn. So where do you think this card might fit into the format? Hmm. Well, if only there's a deck that really wanted a bunch of wolves sitting around. Oh, wait, Tulsimir, Friend of Wolves. Oh, um, yeah, that guy. So, yeah, this is just strangely one of the best wolves that we have. <laughs> so I, I would just jam him right in there. And that's kind of it. I mean, he draws your card and then he like fights stuff. Crazy. Now we are in the multicolor cards so we only have a few and i think they're all sagas right now (laughs) yep so this first one we're going to talk about is the trickster god's heist it is a saga so it's an enchantment it costs four two blue black the first chapter you may exchange control of two target creatures second chapter you may exchange control of two target non-basic non-creature permanents that share a card type so no lands, no creatures, but anything else. Well, you can exchange non-basic lands. Oh, yes, that is true, actually. You yeah. can steal their... Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then chapter three, much less exciting. Target player loses three life, you gain three life. So I I think this is cool. I don't know exactly where I'm going to put this right now. Uh, there's no black-blue, like, blim or something like that there's not really unless i'm just kind of doing shenanigans with like my perplexing chimera and stuff like that i'm not really looking to just willy-nilly exchange control of stuff but i think it is notable that you can exchange trickster god's heist for another enchantment that like is gonna stick around (laughs) Mm -hmm. for the next turn so someone's got like an asceticism that you're you're eyeing can be like hmm yeah it looks pretty good bro yeah, it is a little unfortunate that this uh, color identity restricts it from being put in either Zedru or Blim decks, but it is a neat card, and the the art is actually kind of telling. I would recommend taking a look mm-hmm. at that if you get the chance, because apparent it, it tells a little bit about what is going on in the story of Kaldheim. Looks like Tybalt in disguise as Valky goes to Call, I believe his name is, C- K-O-L-L. Mm-hmm. And then takes that sword that was forged by him and, and kills Call, 
and now Tybalt has a has a big cool looking sword. Yeah, so somehow that sword is going to play into the story, but I'm not quite sure how. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's in all the splash art too. They're like stream it January seventh. So it had like the big sword on it. So it's like okay, well, you're telling me that this is important. I'm paying attention. Mm-hmm. What's gonna happen? <laughs> Do you want to move on to the next saga? Yeah, this one is is actually pretty interesting. This is binding the old gods. It is also a four mana enchantment to black green. First chapter: destroy target non land permanent and opponent controls. Second chapter: search your library for a forest card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Three creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. So this is one of the uncommon ones, but this is a pretty gnarly uncommon one like the fact that it just vindicates for four as an enchantment on verse one mm-hmm. <laughs> usually they save that to like two or three with these kind of ones so the fact that it's just like no here's your value yeah no good. yeah i love seeing the value in a saga front loaded so i don't have to wait around i always worry with something like a, a kiora best the sea god that someone's going to destroy it before i get to the really powerful stuff yeah no this is great i Think that if you're running like an Obzon Enchantress list that is good at recurring its enchantments with like your Hall of Heliod's generosity, this is the perfect kind of card for that. It just like gets you value, dies, you can get it back, kill more things, get more ramp. Just seems like a a perfect card for those kinds of lists. And something to note uh, when listeners can get to view the card, that the art is actually like hand carved wood so they actually got the artist to make a wood carving specifically for this which is uh pretty intense <laughs> yeah really it's impressive cool. mm-hmm. yeah uh this is invasion of the giants blue red uh for an enchantment saga its first chapter is scry 2 the second chapter is draw a card then you may reveal a giant card from your hand when you do invasion of the giants deals two damage to target opponent or planeswalker And chapter three is the next giant spell you cast this turn costs two less to cast. Uh, So what deck do you think this might fit into? Hmm, I'm thinking like like a burn deck because the two. No, this is a giant list card. You play this on like turn two. You get the value out of the scry second turn, whatever. But then turn three, like you can drop like if you're hitting your land drops, which hopefully you are because you just scryed two. You're playing like a five or six drop uh, after that third counter, which is pretty good. Like it's helping you ramp out some like more expensive giants. And honestly, that is what giants need. (laughs) That is uh, very important to the giant strategy is mana reduction. So this is just perfectly in line with what I would expect giant card, like a, a useful playable giant card to look like. Yeah, I, uh, I think you mentioned this earlier, but yeah, I just love that were these giant tribal cards they're just like cheap cantrips for the most part and then they have mm-hmm. a little bit of giant tribal tacked onto it so it's like i don't feel bad about running this card on the surface even if i never get chapter three yeah scry two is uh, about equivalent to draw a card you're removing a lot of chaff out of the way if there's not what you want you're like making sure you hit that land drop if you need it and then the fact that it literally draws you a card if you make it to round two you're pretty i don't know i would say you're pretty guaranteed to (laughs) play that giant that like larger than should be giant on uh turn four so yeah just a really cool card let's go ahead and move on to the last multicolor card this one is not a saga 
but there is a lot to talk about with this, not least of which because it has so much text on it. This is the world tree. It is a land. It enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for a green. As long as you control six or more lands, lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. You can pay white, white, blue, blue, black, black, red, red, green, green, tap, sacrifice the world tree, search your library for any number of god cards, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. This does a lot of things. Uh, yeah, it does so many things. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel about it? The play-by-play is like the first time I read this card was I was like, okay, world tree's a land. That's flavorful. Okay, taps are green. Okay, why is it the world tree? And then I was like, okay, six or more lands. Lands you can draw have admin. Oh, rad. Like this is mana fixing just in your mana base. You can put it in like multiple decks. And then I saw the progenitus cost at the bottom and was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm actually never really going to play with this land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, grand prize, 10 mana to cast every god in your deck is good if you're doing that and otherwise just cuts off decks that maybe want the fixing but are less colors from ever being able to use this so it's this is pretty specifically going into like five colorless and i think golos gods is going to jump up in the golos rankings we should keep a golos rankings honestly mm-hmm. what archetypes are most popular with Gol- oh we should <laughs> i like Golos. That. yeah so I think this is like a new format staple. I would probably put this into every five color list. Is that yeah? Is that I, I, yeah? No, I I agree with that. Like I'm not even if I don't have gods, like it fixes my mana for free. <laughs> it might be a little slow because it enters tapped, but the I, value of just like not having to worry about your mana ever. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the hell out of like prismatic omen or chromatic lantern yeah and one of the things too that i've liked about effects like this which is like this weird thing i've, I've never really thought i would care about but it happens with urborg too uh which is you draw let's say you draw your evolving wilds well now you don't really care that you can't use it for mana because you can immediately use it for mana because it just it already taps for a color now because <laughs> the world mm-hmm. trees here and if you need to later on a turn where it's more advantageous to you, you can pop it for something else. So that's something with like fetches in particular. I've been noticing in my blacklist for a little while now that I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of rad. I can just save these up till I have like a reason to get three lands in a turn or something like that. So like that weird little added utility of it also. This seems like a f- staple definitely for those decks. And I would also run it in like child of alara god tribal or if i was running like a five color list with a lot of changelings because they mm, are yeah. also gods i would I'd use that as a way to jump them into play yeah if you're running everything tribal this seems just like an auto include oh for sure yeah it's just oh uh, my deck's here seems like a, a cool new card kind of pretty happy it exists mm-hmm. yeah I, I am i am more happy it exists than not the fact that it's only in five color makes me sad yeah uh, here's a question for you do you think that Golos plus the World Tree is a better god tribal list than Child of Alara, or do you think it's do you oh, still Child? That's a good question. I think prior to Call Time, I would have said that Child was better because he like the Child doesn't nuke your gods. But now that we're getting more and more gods, and this seems like this is going to be the trend from Call Time forward, I think Golos might just be your boy at a certain point because especially if the gods aren't indestructible anymore. It just seems like he does kind of the same things. And then eventually when you get your world tree, 
you just kind of win. So I think as time goes on, Golos, because of the world tree, will become the de facto god commander. I don't know if it is right now or if Child is the god commander right now or if Corona the false god is. I'm not sure what the stats are on that right now. Pretty sure not Corona, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. I I think I would like to do some testing uh, just to see what the the pros and cons of those two different things are or two different commanders are now that the world tree exists. Uh, Moving on to another really sweet one. This is Maskwood Nexus. Four mana artifact. Creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. And it has three tap, create a 2-2 blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling. Wow, what do you what do you think about this card? This is great. I don't know. There's so many decks that it just kind of goes into already. I think it's really good in specific tribal lists. I think the fact that it's just a birthing bows that is better <laughs> is pretty good just on the surface, but I don't know. I just think it's rad. <laughs> this does more than just conspiracy, but for the decks that are really just looking for a conspiracy or an arcane adaptation, this is just another copy of the effect. Makes it a little easier to for those decks to do whatever they're trying to do. And one like particular application of those types of cards is the the sort of combo effect where you have like your your Bishop of Wings or your Rotlung Reanimator or your Zathrid Necromancer. Just like any any card of the form, like when creature of X type dies, create a creature of type Y. This is perfect for turning those into an engine that like with a if you add a sack outlet into it, you can like sacrifice an angel and get another angel and, and keep going, or sacrifice a human and get another human, and so on and so forth. So if you're interested in building like that type of combo list, this is another little bit of redundancy. It makes it a little bit easier to assemble those types of combos. The main thing I want to say about this card is just that, oh my god, I would kill to have this on a five-color commander. This would be just this is the perfect ability for an everything tribal list because you can just run a hundred percent like tribal creatures that have tribal effects and you don't have to fill your deck out with changelings or anything because everything is a changeling already. Yeah, and then everything is a lord for everything and then yeah, this seems like that that would be a very fun list. <laughs> yeah, oh well. Well Oh well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we are in the lands now. Oh, we we did a land, but uh, that was a very specific land. So this land is called Faceless Haven. It is a snow land. It has tap, add colorless. It also has snow, snow, snow. So three snow mana. Faceless Haven becomes a 4-3 creature with vigilance and all creature types until end of turn. It's still a land. So this is kind of like Mutavault, but like super snow Mutavault. You do have to have a lot of snow sources to activate it, but it has vigilance. So let's say you do activate it and attack with it. You can also use it to cast your spells later on in the turn. Uh, granted it is colorless but it's still some mana that you're able to use it's not like you spent four mana to attack for four i i really do think this is just going to go into tribal lists i might consider it there's one non-tribal list that i would think about it which is there's some versions of depala that are all about man lands and you just run a bunch of you just like commit a bunch of vehicles to the board your mana base has a ton of man lands in it uh, and then you can like kind of wipe the board with ease and then like your your lands rise up and, and jump in the cockpit of this jet or whatever. And so another playable man land for that type of list might be good. Although, eh, 
I, I guess you're like running fewer basics in that list because of all the man land. So maybe it'd be too hard to activate this guy. Maybe. I don't know. I think like the few snow mana rocks that we've seen and like the snow basics, I think you'd be able to make it work. I, there are definitely going to be times when you're sitting there like, uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll crew my other man land because my faceless haven doesn't have enough snow. But I do think that's still worth it. Would you run this in a three color tribal deck? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't think I would. I think like that's at the point where it's not necessarily worth it. Um, and if I'm in a three color tribal list, I'm there's probably just better things for me to be doing, especially with my mana. Also, oh, I'll save this for the next few cards because we we have kind of two more cards to talk about. But I, I just don't see this being a big player out in three colors and beyond tribal lists. Yeah, I I agree. I think that like. Once you get to three colors, the number of basics you're able to fit in your deck is is quite low, and you're just not going to be able to scrounge up enough snow mana to activate it. But in monocolor and two-color decks, I think you can pretty easily jam this thing in. Which I think gets us to the last two cards we're going to talk about, or, or cycles, I should say, of cards. The first one is kind of mind-blowing that it, the, the cycle exists, but mm, how should I say it? Should I just... Basically, there's a cycle of snowlands... And they are quite literally dual lands. They are snow lands with uh, basic land types. There's 10 of them. There's one for each combination. And they all enter the battlefield tapped. And that's it. And the reason that this is kind of crazy is that they're all common. So each one of these lands is common. Each one of these has a chance of showing up in the land slot of a call time pack too so it's like they're gonna be easy to get and i'm honestly gonna play them especially in enemy color decks just because the dual options that we have are so limited oh yeah for sure like like what are you fetching for in your is it deck it's like okay i've got my steam vents already the next available option is ooh volcanic island. Yeah, (laughs) it's like oh um okay let me just shell out the uh the, the big bucks right there and yeah. okay uh let's keep on <laughs> yeah let me just take out a second mortgage real quick really cool they exist uh also there's snow so they're it's kind of like an obligatory thing to run them in some of these decks that we're going to be making now i feel like that like if you are going to be running a snow mana base in a two or three color list especially like green lists that can fetch out these pretty easily i just don't see a reason not to like if you if you're running like a big green list that's running like Sky Shroud Claim and Ranger's Path and whatever else like those four mana get to of like a type, th- these are just so so good. Yeah, and it really is just so shocking to see these dual lands with basic land types at common. I mean, I mean, it's great to just have these, but what it implies for future sets, like the idea that we might get maybe a cycle of these that aren't snow that just enter the battlefield tapped and just now your your enemy color deck has three uh, non-dual land options <laughs> yeah exactly like three relatively budget options for for things you can fetch out which That's, is great yeah that that could be awesome really excited about the implications of this and these are just a great option for snow decks or for budget mana bases and then the last thing is just snow so as you all know there are snow lands in the set they take the place of the basics uh they're just the snow-covered plains island swamp mountain forest and 
we've kind of already talked about the implications of these. And I just want to say again that I, I do think it's just going to be correct to run these, period, now. Yeah. Pick up as many as you can while Kaldheim is being drafted and opened because who knows the next time Snow is going to be in standard. And yeah, these are probably going to become scarce later on. Arguably, they have some of the best art we've seen so far, too. Oh, yeah. Except, except the forest, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can forgive them for, for some, some things. You know, This was just the, the first week of spoilers, so we will be back with you next week with uh, the next batch. And I can only imagine what what we're gonna see. <laughs> what what is the snow hate card gonna be? What is like the rest of the uncommon commanders gonna be like? Like, I'm, what are runes? Yeah, what are runes? Yeah, we we don't know. Yeah, so very excited to see how this turns out, and can't wait for the next week of spoilers. So thank you all for listening. Uh, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, David, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Eamon, Kevin, Matthew, Jamie, Russell, Kaidel, and Jeremy. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.